What causes negative thinking? How can you recover a true belief in yourself? Which half of the mermaid should be the fish? Download the Robnopsis, formerly known as Livinetics, America's number one life synopsizer. It's the owner's manual to the bookish mind. Listen now at bookedpodcast.com. Boom. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This is the second episode of our City Lit live reading. Uh, so if you don't remember having listened to a first episode, maybe go back one and uh, have a listen to Jack Gems and Richard Thomas reading live at City Lit Books. And don't forget, you'll even hear more of us as we do the uh, the introducing and stuff. That's right. So it's going to be like book deception because it's us talking and then we're introducing us talking. It's kind of and now we're talking about us introducing right. talk something or another. But tonight's not about us. It's about Ben Tanzer and Brandon Teets. So um, if for some reason you didn't listen to the first episode, Brandon um, asked us if we would kindly host a reading, um, which we were happy to do. And it was a really nice, um, I should say, right off the bat, meeting um, Brandon, Ben Tanzer, and Jack Gems. And we met other people, and it was all terrific. But... Um, it was very, very cool to be included in something, uh, something this neat. So Brandon came up from uh, Kansas City um, and uh, came to the ghetto of Chicago, basically, um, to do this reading. Dude, it was Logan Square. I know. The, but Logan Square used to be the ghetto. Kind of still. I mean, you could still get shot there. So, Like, seriously. So I haven't been in that area for probably <laughs> 20, 20 to 22 years. And Richard Thomas used to live in that neighborhood. And we were driving down, I, was, I made some comments about how much nicer the neighborhood seemed. And Kevin was like, yeah, it's always been a nice neighborhood. Well, Kevin Helmick, who, who uh, Richard and I drove with, um, he's not originally from Chicago. So he's been down there in the last 20 years, just not like, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s when I was there. It's a much nicer neighborhood now. Yeah, but still rough and yeah. filled with I mean, hipsters. people still get pie stolen around there. <laughs> Your pie is not safe. No, it's not. I'm just saying. They should have, there should have been a required signature on that pie. I'm sure there was. Oh, you mean like by one of us? Yeah, like an off, like a like a validated kind of situation. Anyway, let's not linger on the pie. There's no sense crying over lost pie. Yeah, pie. <laughs> I'm 3.14 times as angry as I was about it on the last episode. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right. Well, we can just kind of blather around about pie all night like we did with the last episode, or we can get to uh, the meat of the evening, which is uh, sometimes literally probably in, in at least Brandon's story. But anyway, uh, Ben Tanzer <laughs> and Brandon Teets. Up first is Ben Tanzer. Are you ready? I think we're back. Uh, are you ready? As long as Ben's ready to get going in a minute. You're good? Okay, cool. Welcome back. I hope everybody bought a ton of books and uh, had them signed by a ton of people. <laughs> I know I did. That's what we were busy doing. Yep. So. All right. The next reader is going to be Ben Tanzer, and I have a bio ready for him. Ben is the author of the books My Father's House, uh, You Can Make Him Like You, Lost in Space, <coughs> Four Fathers, which he co-authored with, co-authored, co-authored, co-authored with Davy Housley, B.L., I'm going to totally get these names bad, Powellek, Tom Williams, and the book Orphans, which won the 24th Annual Midwest Book Award, in fantasy, sci-fi, horror, paranormal, among others. He also contributes to Men's Health, which... Uh, there were so many jokes in that. <laughs> there were seriously so many. And then I realized I was a subscriber for years. And probably read some stuff by you. But was just like, we gotta work in a prostate exam. I was, like, I, don't know, yeah, I was like, I don't know him well enough, but there's... He just told me to cough. Because then I can write about it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he directs uh, publicity and content strategy for Curbside Splendor. Uh, which Dark House Press is a uh, is an imprint of. So Richard Thomas, there's a little bit of a familial thing going on, uh, and he can be found online at the at this blog will change your life, the center of his vast, albeit faux, lifestyle empire. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Tanzer. Um, it is really nice to be here. Uh, 
anything to support Brandon. I am thrilled about. It's cool to have the booked guys here. I love City Lit. This chair is so low. Um, <laughs> you say in my house, it's got a lot of ass sinkability. Um, anyway, it's an honor. I love the bookstore and thrilled to be part of this. Uh, I thought I'd read some pieces from Forefathers. Uh, my contribution to this collection was flash fiction, which I had not tried previously. Um, and so I thought I'd read just a couple of very short pieces from this. Um, and that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my glasses off because I can't read my own reading or anything else. Um, this first piece is called Unborn. He says to you, too bad it wasn't my dad, because that would be fine with me and better for the world as well. He says this because he is a friend. He also says this because he hates his dad. But he especially says this because he doesn't know what it's like to lose a father. All he knows for sure is that your dad is dead now. And not only will you never speak to him again, but he will never meet your unborn sons. Something that seems just as cruel as dying too soon in the first place. You don't think your friend believes the world can possibly work like that. That the right people would die if we could somehow convince ourselves that the universe is fair and just. Of course, he doesn't consider the children <coughs> who lost their fathers on September 11th and never got to experience half of what you did with yours. Nor does he know if you will ever speak to his father again. Whether they will someday reconcile, whether he will have children himself and be happy that his father is there to meet them. No, what he knows is his hatred and your profound sense of loss and confusion. What he also knows or thinks he knows is that this kind of thing should be more equitable. But it isn't. It can't be. And it certainly never will be. And this is the part that you can accept. That we have no control. That horrible things happen and that things we love can be torn from us with no true explanation. However, what you cannot accept is that your father will never meet those unborn boys. Those boys he would love and who would love him back. The boys who would think he was so funny and charming. The grandpa who would have gotten on the ground with them to wrestle. Who would have drawn with them and regaled them with epic stories of knights and dragons and unicorns that would somehow explode out of the vast recesses of his brain fully formed in his teeth. Your dad won't be there when they cry either or when they perform on stage. Some that might have made him cry as well. Not that he cried when you were their age. Not ever. But he was a dad then, and he thought he had to be tough. This would be different, though. He'd be softer. He'd have to be. Grandchildren strip away all the bullshit. That's just the way it is. The way it is not is how your friend wants it to be. And you tell him that you're sorry it isn't that way. But not because you would wish a dead father on anyone even someone who says he doesn't care, but because he wants to give you something to replace that something that is lost. But he can't. No one can. Those boys, those unborn boys, will help. But the relationship with your father will not be replaced. Because sadly, it doesn't work like that either. poorly done on my part. Um, I'm going to read you a piece called Lies. Do you have a moment? It's your son's teacher, so this can't be good. Now, not good doesn't have to mean bad, but it means something, and you're too tired for something. You just want to do pickup and get home. The teacher tells you that your son lied in class. He stood up in front of everyone and told them how your family dog died after a classmate of his had shared that her dog had died. But you don't have a dog, do you? The teacher asks. No, we don't, you say. And you wonder why your son would do that. Was it a desperate need for attention? A desire to perform? Or is it some kind of defect? A compulsive need to lie? a condition that much of your fa father's family seems to have suffered from. Jesus, is that genetic? How do you ask your son why he did this? He will probably say nothing. What did you do in school today? Nothing. No. No, nothing. You learned nothing. Nothing. What did you do during recess or lunch or art class or gym? 
Nothing, 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 and nothing. Nothing at all. So you don't ask, not immediately. Why bother? Where will it get you? Nowhere. That's where. But when your son formally invites you to attend a parent-teacher conference in his bedroom that weekend, you go. You are happy to. You walk into his room at the scheduled time and your son is sitting cross-legged in his baggy sweatpants and bed, shuffling papers, and so very serious that you sit when he asks you to. When your son asks you if you know that your child lied in class, you say, you heard something like that had happened, but that your son doesn't tell you much, and so you certainly don't know the whole story, not really. Might the teacher be willing to share the story with you, you ask your son? Of course, your son says. Do you know that one of your son's friends had a dog that died, he says? You do, you say. That's really sad. It must be very hard for her. It is. And did you know that your son stood up and said his dog had died even though you don't have one because he thought his friend might feel better if she thought someone else had lost something they loved? But that it hadn't worked out like that, like he thought it would? That she didn't feel better? That soon he realized he'd made a terrible mistake? Did you know that, he says in a rush of words? You did not, you say. But you think your son tried to do a wonderful thing, even if he was confused about how it might go. You also think that you're really proud of him. And you ask that maybe the teacher would let him know this. The teacher would be happy to share that with him, your son says. Wonderful, you say. And maybe, because you know, our son doesn't tell us much, maybe we can do this again sometime. It's been really helpful. Maybe we can, your son says. We'll be sure to schedule something. Which you hope he does, even if you have no idea how this came about and what it means about him or you or where any of this will go. You can clap now. But you don't need to. You don't need to. Right. A couple other shorties and we're done. We'll hand off to the, the big gun. There's a piece called Younger. I'm shocked how often my dad comes up in these stories, even though they're mostly fiction. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe your dad was right, your wife says, as the two of you sit at the kitchen table one Sunday morning, the half-eaten pancakes lying there in a pool of coagulating syrup, the New York Times scattered everywhere, the boys off in the back, screaming, crying, shouting, fighting, all of it, and endlessly at that. You sit there for a moment trying to figure out what your father might have been right about. He was a smart guy and full of unsolicited, though at times useful advice. But what could you have said here that applies? Yeah, you say? What was he right about? How you should never pee off the back of a truck into the wind? <laughs> that was sound advice, you think, though clearly stolen from on the road. Your wife laughs her throaty Brenda Vaccaro laugh. No, she says, that other thing. What, I, you say, how there's no reason to ever get married? Or I should always drive defensively? He loved that one, too. Nope, she says, scanning the style section. Not those either. There's something else, you think? Fuck, really? What? Got nothing, you say. That's what she said, she says. Indeed, you say. Well played. What? What then? What are we talking about here? That thing. Uh, you don't need to have more than one kid, she says. How you, your mom, and him, the three of you, you were a good team. But then they added your brother, and it was never quite the same after that. Now it's your turn to laugh. Oh, that thing, right. He definitely said that. Don't tell my brother, though, you say. And you both laugh. The two of you were never going to have just one kid. None, maybe, but not one. What if he or she died? Then what? You'd have nothing. And nothing after something was not going to work. You both felt this way, not that you had ever discussed it. Not that you had to. All you had to do is confirm the feeling when you decided to have the first one, its mutuality, mutuality, and how wrong it sounded said out loud, but how it had to be said anyway. Yet you do wonder, which part of having the second one is she referring to? Is it the sudden lack of money, the endless fucking noise, the stress, the exhaustion, what? All of it? None of it? Whatever. It doesn't matter. It all kind of sucks. You don't have to ask her which part sucks the most. The boys amble into the room. The older one turns on the computer, some fashion site he loves. He puts on his headphones and he tunes you out completely. The younger one just sort of falls over on the ground and starts talking to himself. Though about what you cannot comprehend and never can. Something about Pokemon, you think. 
but beyond that, it is unknown to you and anything else he says. You think about the day you brought him home, how scary it was, even though you'd done it before, and how unbelievably yummy he was from Jump. So yummy that you could just eat him and would have all of him just gulping him whole. The older one has always been harder, beautiful, but twitchy and ready for a fight. Little one, though, he's like a donut. A grimy, oozy, sticky, crying powder donut that you just want to stroke and smell and curl up with every moment possible. You look at him some more. You turn away to look at your wife, who's staring at him as well, a small smile snaking across her beautiful face. You then turn to look out the window again, and you realize that you can no longer recall what the two of you were talking about when they came in. Thank you, and one very small final shorty. This one's called Consumption. <clears throat> When he says that he wants to eat her fingers, sounds like a Richard Thomas story. Depends on where you go the next We'll see, we'll see. There won't be any ghosts or blood, though, I don't think. Maybe it's more of a Ben Tanta story. There will be alcohol. Anyway, when he says that he wants to eat her fingers, you are aghast and entertained all at once. He is your drinking friend, which is a nice way of saying that you are concerned about his drinking especially when you are not out together and it is not clear to you that someone else will be keeping an eye on him. He gets into fights while waiting in line at the car wash. And while the people he meets on those lines suddenly find themselves with broken collarbones, you inevitably find yourself serving as a character witness. He is incredibly charming, intelligent, funny, and he's full of joy. And while he's attractive as hell with his quick smile and his thick dark hair, he may not be quite as attractive as a sad-eyed Southern California Beach Bay boy, the one he spontaneously married, the one who can wear a tight snakeskin dress like no one you've ever seen in your life, but who seems so unhappy so much of the time, you almost want to laugh to keep from crying. You suppose what you're doing here is presenting just one part of the picture, the part that you think must somehow explain something about his desire to eat her fingers. The part that says he lacks impulse control. That he is someone who's drinking must surely cloud his decision-making skills. And that he has tendencies towards violent resolutions. And an inability to love his wife like he believes he might have if they were happier. All of which must surely impact his desires. You should note, though, it's not his wife's fingers he wants to eat, but those of his newborn daughter. She who is the color of latte and so ridiculously full of unrequited love that when you are around her, you are worried that one of you will surely burst from the sheer cuteness alone. It's her fingers he wants to eat. And that is why you are aghast entertained all at once. It seems so unreal to you. He wants to eat those little fingers? He wants to somehow damage the perfect little entity lying before us? How can someone feel that way? Here's the thing, though. You are not yet a parent. When he says this to you, you do not understand how different that kind of love is, how all-consuming and overwhelming it can feel, how hard it is not to want to merge with them in every possible way, because to not merge is not to live. But you know now. You know the feeling he spoke of, the intensity that comes with their very presence, and the desire to devour your child. Because there is so much feeling involved that it takes everything you have not to lose yourself completely in them, much less contain that feeling when someone else you love is around and willing to listen. I give it up for writing in the second person. <laughs> and not only did he have some nice uplifting stories that we heard, but I've never seen somebody that could that adequately match their shoes to their shirt. I, spot <laughs> I was thinking that earlier. And, and the book. It's embarrassing. Wow, that's astonishing. It's, Amazing. I apologize. <laughs> All right. Um, we have one final reader this evening, Brandon Teets, who's here somewhere. There he is. Um, who's uh, uh, Good Sex, Great Prayers. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to say this. I saw it on the podcast and I felt bad about it, but I'm going to say it again in front of a group of people. Do not let this title mislead you. This book is much better than that title. So <laughs> right now, excellent, excellent book. <laughs> Rob has right. a little short bio. Here's and, the, and should we mention that afterwards? Afterwards, we are all going to go out and have a bite to eat. You guys are all welcome to join us. Rob has yeah. information on where we're going specifically, so stick around for a few minutes sure afterwards if you're interested. <laughs> all 
All right, so Brandon Teets is the author of Out of Touch and Good Sex, Great Prayers. His short stories have been widely published, appearing in Warned and Bound, Spark, Solar Cycle, Tendency, Tendencies, and most recently, Burnt Tongues, the Chuck Palahniuk Anthology. Notice no mention of Richard Thomas. Well, I had to when I got him. Drink. We're going to do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's also a regular contributor for Lit Reactor, Kirk, right? A little shout out for Kirk there. And tabrag.com. Brandon Teets. All right. Special request before Brandon uh, starts to read. If we could do an Instagram selfie, like oh, with the yeah. crowd in the background. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> request. Well, let's get so our like, let's get our screen like, on. We get the booked guys on oh, either side oh, of you, and then like oh, so these guys are behind us. Are you, what, what, gonna, is, what is, gonna, is this Instagram thing no, that you guys are talking about? <laughs> You're gonna duck face. I'll duck I'll, face. I will look not. Like I will duck face. Asshole. You guys, anybody can duck face who wants to. Put them on there. Yeah. Alright, and then we will we'll pick the filter afterwards. Yeah, but that's a voting process. But it looks it looks like a Valencia. I know I'm an X Pro too. Oh yeah, that's a that's that's a sinker. Thanks for getting it warmed up, man. All right, so, um, yeah, as the, uh, well, let me get the thank yous out of the way first, because I always forget, but thank you very much to Booked for getting on board with this crazy train, and to the authors, and to City Lit Books. This is actually my first bookstore reading ever. Um, I'm used to having a bar, like, right about where those stacks are. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, is kind of new, because normally I'd have a couple shots beforehand, but we'll, we'll do that after. Um, so I'm going to read uh, some of my story dietary from this book. Uh, it was co-edited by Chuck Palnick, uh, author of Fight Club. I'm sure you all know him. And that beautiful fucking angel right there, <laughs> Richard Thomas, who Richard does this thing where if you try to compliment him, he will Haley Joel Osment pay it forward to three other people. So it's like, I really liked your story in, in Shivers, Richard, and be like, oh, thank Thank you. I couldn't have done it without uh, Stephen King, Max Berry, and that old whore, Meryl Streep. He'll, he'll just deflect the compliment elsewhere. But this this book seriously could not have happened without Richard. We had a, a guy who I will not mention. He kind of sat on it for a year. Richard got this thing. Three months later, this bitch was sold. All because Richard. And he read The Slush Pile. How many stories do you think he read? Like a thousand? Over a thousand? Yeah, it's like over a hundred a month for a year. Yeah. This guy, yeah. And not all of them were gems. No. There were some crappy ones in there. There were some Fight Club 2s in there. Um, this, guy, this guy really did the work. So, seriously, buy his stuff. He's got the new black up there, right? And he gets published once a week anyway, so he can get a lot of his stuff for free. So, um, I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we'll be here all night and then we won't get to the important part, which is the drinking. So, I'm going to start in the middle here. And dietary, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a story about crash dieting, uh, crash dieting gone right. So right uh, that it kind of backfire on you. The snide remarks are at their worst again on Monday. 9.02 a.m., Dr. Kessler. Geez, Pritchard, how many fucking breakfasts did you have today? 9.05 a.m., Dr. Bresden. Can I assume all the long johns are in your tummy, or did you leave one for me at this time? Contributing to the obesity epidemic gets you teased. You fail at being thin, and torment ensues. Good bedside manner is the last thing these guys are going to waste on the loser secretary. 9.16 a.m., Nurse Valor. I'm, su I'm supposed to remind you that the caster stem or gas mechanism goes out on your chair again. It's not coming out of petty cash this time. She's looking for my trademark sad bastard frown, but isn't getting it. The president becomes considerably easy to deal with when you know the future. But don't tell Nurse Fowler that you'd be wasting your jelly-scented breath. Why are you smiling like that, she asks. Are they deep-frying the munchkins in Zoloft now? The happy bluebird inside me sings, Thank you for calling Breckenridge Medical Group, Miss Miranda Pritchard speaking, to which Nurse Fowler premieres an extended eye roll my way before stomping off. She can't see it, none of them can. My dirty little secret. Fourteen pounds in a dress size later, 
Nurse Fowler is telling anyone who will listen, look, she's either getting laid or planning to bomb this place. No one is that cheerful. She just is stomping her veer-wing pumps like a child, like a contestant afraid of losing her crown. And I'm daydreaming, elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist, chin out, smile and wave, wave to the crowd. Hips cocked and locked, she's pleading, look, just promise me if you smell rotten eggs, you won't automatically assume someone broke wind. Casing my second whopper, I hear those pillow soft lips say, because it might be plastic explosives. I'm thinking shoulders back, look left, look right, center. That's ammonium sulfide, you twit, Dr. Allen sneers. And three to one odds says she's back on the pills, any takers? Apodexin, Fenfedra, and Decaslim, Leptovox, and Lipofuse. 93% of the time, they all fail. The real trick to finding your success story out of the 10,000 possible disappointments is to remove your willpower and obedience from the equation. Find the method that allows you to be the most yourself and let time do the rest. For as long as it takes, another month, another 24 pounds and three dress sizes later, my bare ass is rolling in crinkly paper as 11 chocolate euclairs exact the revenge on my stomach, counting one, two, four liver spots on Dr. Spicer's shaft. Each time it withdraws from me, Yes, I realize there's a child. <laughs> well, fuck that kid up. Vampire pets. <laughs> he heaves, God, you're so small. And my eyes dart from the russet spots to teddy bear wallpaper framing a brochure rack of heart disease, prostate cancer, and low blood sugar. I'm reading autism, brain tumors, herpes, as alum aluminum-colored tufts bump against my pelvis again and again the cramps in my stomach forcing a groan out of me. Dr. Spicer's eyes go dry and wide asking, are you coming? Going faster. The Looney Tunes necktie billows and rebounds off his stomach as he plunges me harder, the pasty chicken skin cock throbbing. You're coming, right? He tries again. I grunt, uh, sure dude. But he's already turning me into his personal Twinkie as the pumps slow down to one prolonged deep thrust, the excess man cake batter seeping out along the edges, dripping. He's panting pressing that tie against his forehead, his cheeks, the smell of coffee breast stymied by Porky Pig and Wiley Coyote as chunks of white slap the floor. The doc allows the sodden fabric to slip between his fingers, assuming aloud, you're on birth control, right? As the white ropes bungee jump and hang from his cock dropping. Trying not to frown as another wave of cramps sweep through, my fingers break a couple nails when they tunnel into the sides of the examination table, groaning again. It was good for me too, he smiles. Penguin, penguin walking over to the counter with pants handcuffing his ankles, pulling f a few paper towels out of the tin dispenser and wiping his rod off. Seriously though, he wads up a damp paper towel, pitching it as my vagina continues to salivate rabid. You are on birth control, right? So like a man to shoot first and ask questions later. I'm sighing, Breckenridge Medical, Medical Group, please hold when my headset beeps. And Dr. Spicer finally pulls out the pad of scripts, putting pen to paper as I search for anything within arm's reach to clean myself off with. I'm going to tack some Levinel on here, just in case, he mutters. And finally I snap, I'm already on fucking birth control. Now can you hand me a goddamn paper towel? This fall from grace has already begun. Not quite at goal weight, but already I'm settling back into my former horrible self, little Miss Miranda Pritchard super cunt. Just like those boys so long ago, the doctors all began scratching their heads, wondering how the docile secretary became such an ice queen. Using the water cooler as their think tank, Dr. Langley, my money's on meth. Dr. Ulmer, got a grand on home colonics and speed. Dr. DeVille, well, whatever she's doing, it's sure as hell having some side effects. The rumors are only heard in sound bites, but not one of them has ever stopped to consider how my new bestie might be encouraging this behavior. We become whom we surround ourselves with. 1.04 p.m. Nurse Fowler. Hey, Hooker, let's do lunch. We've got to do some damage control before your gown fitting at the boutique. My headset beeps and I say, Breckenridge, hold on a sec. As partner in crime, Nurse Heather Fowler begins removing various bottles and containers out of a Macy's shopping bag. Popping my third Percocet of the day, I quickly do some mental math as to how long it's going to be before another script refill has to be banged out of Dr. Richards or Camden or Lacey. Heather catches that faraway look in my eyes, suggesting you might want to chill out on the perks if you stand up, uh, plan on staying conscious, bed. So many months in dress sizes later, D-Day is right around the corner and the cramps are their absolute worst. This game that started out 
innocently has now become a systematic routine of maintenance and self-preservation. The means, although unknown to Nurse Fowler, are ferociously supported to their ends via supplements, cosmetics, and her been-there-done-that advice. It seems we've developed a, an accord of her living vicariously through me, as my beauty and vitality hold steadfast because of her. <coughs> Manny Petty's exfoliation, high-pressure tanning, and deluxe hair care, not even recrowned yet, and already the royal treatment has begun. Heather hands me a tube and three bottles out of the Macy's bag, explaining, we gotta control these breakouts unless you think the pizza face look as sexy. After slamming another couple bottles on my workspace, she pauses to add, that was my attempt at humor, by the way. A little green tube breeds proactive. Vitamins A, B6, and C get added to the collection. Watching Nurse Fowler unpack, my fingertips routinely drum the wooden countertop, chipping another nail. It ricochets into the distance of office space. That keeps happening because your calcium and zinc levels are too low, she explains, removing another couple pill bottles, another tube of skincare. Her pointer finger draws level with my nose as she declares, nothing but high pulp screwdrivers for you, young lady. If you're a beauty queen on the comeback tour, never forget how your own personal nurse is just as important as having a fashion consultant, trainer, and nutritionist. You're only as good as your corner. It's because of Nurse Fowler that I haven't fallen apart already. She finger feeds me another legion of pills and supplements, more lotions and moisturizers. She says, double up on the vitamin C until your gums stop bleeding. And those get popped along with another four Excedrin, another thiamine and niacin. And here's some B7 to stop the hair loss and dry skin, placing another couple tablets in my clammy palm before they're chased with a Diet Coke. Nurse Fowler slides a few tubes my way little expensive ones, stealing my soda and uncapping an Epion for me, affectionately ordering me to rinse and spit hoe bag, but the watery emission comes out looking like pink lemonade. Heather's Korean car fingernail taps each tube in turn, and she lists disinfectant, shining gloss, enamel repair, but I'm shaking my bratty pretty face at her, giving her the old pouty frown that millions of dads everywhere fall prey to when there's toys to be picked up and shelved away. That shit makes my gums hurt, taking the poor me approach. But I keep forgetting how Nurse Valor sticks kids with hypos on the daily. This is nothing to her. Your little bulimia stint a lot of damage to your teeth, the nurse lectures, pushing the first tube that much closer to me. Her eyebrows nearly hit the ceiling when she asks, I mean, seriously, do you even know how acidic that shit is? And how the hell can you not comprehend this sort of tone? Bulimia fails 92% of the time, but that was found out the hard way ages ago. My sore and bloody mouth says Breckenridge, hold, when the headset beeps again, whining, but it really hurts, adding pathetically as I sneak drop another Percocet. Like, really? Nurse Fowler dawns a conniving little smirk. The mouth, Miranda, is like the vagina of the face, she explains, <laughs> picking up the first tube and unscrewing a plastic nipple cap. My lips instinctively curl tight against sore, bloody teeth, knowing what she's about to do. Now that crown can be made of platinum and diamonds, but it won't really matter in the end, she tells me, squeezing a clear pearl-sized glob onto her forefinger. It draws so close the bouquet of polish and disinfecting agents enter my nostrils without inhale. Because no matter how you dress it up, no one likes a chip, bloody vagina. And again, my face goes all pouty and sad for real this time, with the blob almost kissing my shuddering lower lip, super coach and BFF nurse Heather Fowler demands, now smile, bitch, before plunging that stinging digit in my mouth with a brushing motion. The gum fires hurt just enough to mute the cramps. Then Fowler gives a hopeless sigh, fingers circuiting my gums, my teeth, saying for the millionth time, you know, this would be a lot easier if you just tell me what's up with you. But by the frown I'm wearing, she can already see this is a lost cause. All right. We requested that one, by the way. <laughs> I fulfilled request. Okay, so another quest. Uh, I'm going to read some from Good Sex Break, uh, Great Prayers, which is up at the front for sale. And thank you, Kevin, and everyone that has bought a copy so far. Um, I'm not really going to preface this that much. Uh, all I'm going to say is that uh, the character that I'm going to read is one of the main villains. He's a little bit Fred Phelpsy. 
uh, just really fucking ignorant and bigoted, and I'm really glad that child left, because <laughs> this shit's about to get fucking nasty. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do a few in a row, in a row, but they're really, really short. Okay. I don't care if she's fat. I don't care if she's got a stinky baloney cooter that cheeses right up like old potato salad left out at a barbecue. You fuck your wife, all right? You fuck only your wife, because that's the vow that you made, and the Lord doesn't welcome liars into the kingdom, and ain't no good woman deserve to be cheated on just because her puss looked like a pile of chewed hair, pile of hair with chewed bubblegum dropped in it. There's plenty of men locked up that would chop their own tits off for a piece of ass right now, all right? I've met them. I met a man that was locked up for a 20-year stretch, and he says to me, Billy, there were times I got so lonesome, I stuck my pecker in the mattress hole while looking at my girl's picture. All right, Lord is my witness. She's a pig. She's fucking fat and disgusting. I know that. But she's my pig. And I want you to think about that while you're out there delivering our food and supplies and gasoline around our great country. You made a commitment to do a job. You made a commitment to your wife. Do your diligence. Do right by the Lord. And be thankful that you got more than a mattress to squirt into when you, got, when you get home. Now, for you single men, the road, the road is lonely. Believe me, I know. Ain't got no one to talk to. You got nothing and no one waiting for you at home. Just you and your thoughts, right? And that's when the goddamn devil decides to get in your head. He's getting in there, burrowing deep. He's getting in that fucking noggin of yours. And he makes you hit that bottle and snort that meth you love. All right? You stirring your thoughts around. And then you forget yourself and you forget the Lord. Start thinking with your pecker. All right, so there you are. You're sitting in the cab of your rig. You're drunk, spun, and lonely. And then that knock comes. And it's some dirty fucking lot lizard just checking to see if you want some company. All right, she ain't got no shoes. Got about half her teeth left. And they're yellow and worn the hell down like little pieces of corn. Like you've got little fucking corn teeth is what she got. All right? And she's got sores around her mouth. And this little piece of trash says that she'll let you bust a hard load in her mouth, get her just a little taste of that meth, right? Just a bump to keep her spirits up. And even though you can smell the cock on her breath from the last guy, it's tempting, right? For a little meth, you could fuck this girl's mouth and not be lonely anymore. You don't have to suffer by yourself. That is the devil thinking, my friends. I promise you, soon as that little girl spits your wad out into the ashtray, she's gone. She's off to the next man, all right? You're worse off than before. That's how clever the devil is. He makes you think that you want this. He takes advantage of you when you're alone and you're weak. And that's why you're here today. You take it from old Billy Burke. You are not alone. A couple more. I want you to pray for your health and the well-being of your kin, your wives, and parents and kids. And pray that the Lord allow you to provide for them food, shelter, warmth, and love. Pray he keeps you on the divine path and let you not fall into the temptation of meth hookers and strippers with the shaved cooters. All right? If you take a tab of ecstasy, you pray to him that you don't wind up breaking into someone's home so you can rub your pecker on their shag carpet. All right? We are men alone in the world, voyaging across the country with little else to count on but ourselves. Let the Lord be the company you keep, not some Puerto Rican escort named Charlo. All right. It may make all the difference between getting home safe and having the sores crop up on your pecker. All right. You know why the sores are red? Do you? The goddamn devil, that's why. All right. Red is the shade of the beast, and the beast lives in the saliva and cunt of every lot lizard and meth hooker you come across. And they're shitters, too. The good book says... And I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Be wary of a dirty shitter. Now, I see a lot of men here with tattoos. Well, I'll tell you this. AIDS and herpes is the tattoo the devil needles into your skin and your blood. And there ain't no removing it. That shit sticks with you forever, even in the afterlife. And the last thing that you want is to arrive at the pearly gates to greet St. Peter with a fucking cold sore on your lip. <laughs> One more. One more. One more for the giver. 
feels so good to say this out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna go to hell. <clears throat> All right, there's a gay bar down the street from here. Already? <laughs> really? It's just so casual. Now, what what comes to mind when you think of gay bars? I'll tell you. A bunch of sweaty young men rubbing their peckers and fingering each other's shitters. They're dancing to that crazy techno music. They're, pl they're playing grab ass with each other, kissing on each other. One guy jerking another guy off until he squirts a hot load on his forehead in the bathroom. Lord is my witness. These guys are taking just piles of dick butter. To and they're using it to style their fucking hair. I've seen it. All right? Now, you may be asking yourself... All right, what the hell was old Billy doing in the fag bar? Well, I wasn't sucking on no dicks, I can tell you that. And if some guy happened to buy me a drink because he thought I looked like a young Clint Eastwood, that's my fucking business. All right, I was scouting. I was formulating the attack, as it were. See, you lot here, you drive by it, you curse it under your breath and ignore it, but old Billy here, he ain't afraid to get his hands dirty. And let it be known... Billy Burke will step into the devil's den if that's what needs doing. Ain't make no mistake, it does need doing, gentlemen. And if they're going to ignore the Lord and his word, then we got to bring the word to them. Got to get our hands dirty. Maybe even get some spermicidal lubricant on. I don't know. But this is divine intervention, my friends. That's it. heard everyone laughing come on let's face it we've all been there right <laughs> really what are the odds that a child shows up like right at that moment when you start reading what are the chances we'd like to thank city lit books for having us <laughs> down so we'll never ever be allowed to be here again <laughs> we'd like to thank brandon teats for having us as well and for asking us to be a part of this this is a lot of fun we never do this live it's always recorded we can edit all this i'm going to be editing this at this very moment uh just uh everybody who was a reader richard thomas jack gems who we had to spend like five minutes figuring out the name beforehand because we're terrible with pronouncing names and Ben Tanzer, everybody, uh, for reading. Thanks for, for joining us. If you'd like to hear this all again, it will be available probably within the week at bookpodcast.com and everywhere fine book or podcasts can be heard, right? There's other, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, other, there's, there's other things places. you can look There's at. other podcasts you can listen to, apparently. Um, that's really it. Where are we going? Um, I promised. I, I promised we'd have a place that everybody could go and eat. I know so people I, I had like, like four cookies today. That's what I've eaten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, and this is a risky proposition, but Revolution Brewing is like pretty nearby, but it's probably going to be pretty busy right now. But it's a nice place to go. So um, I'm going to try and push people in that direction. If anyone wants to join us, um, probably food and drinks and all that kind of stuff. But uh, big thanks for everybody. I know that they close at seven, so they probably want to be one last chance there. to buy a book. They're waiting. There's no last, line. Thanks, <laughs> thanks everybody for coming out. Have a great night. And there you have part two of the uh, City Lit reading hosted by us, Book Podcast. But uh, you had Ben Tanzer reading a few selections from Forefathers. Apparently, the only uplifting stuff of the night there, man. Holy crap. <laughs> I was actually, I, I couldn't work it in, but I was going to get up and once we were done talking about, uh, once once he was done and we were getting back up to, to go to toward Richard, I was going to say something about how it's very nice that we all get to kind of wallow in our father issues. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Didn't get the chance. You even, you went to making fun of Richard instead, which I completely endorse. So because <laughs> we love Richard. Okay. Listen, here's, here's how we are. If we publicly ridicule somebody. Um, it's kind of like when you were in like second grade and you had a crush on the girl and the way you showed mm -hmm. that was like by pulling her hair and kicking her. Yeah. If we do it in private and it doesn't make it to the podcast, it's because we really, really hate you. Yeah. So if we only say really nice things about you. Mm -hmm. uh, you always got to wonder. Yeah. 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 And then after Ben Tanzer, um, we had Brandon Teets, who <laughs> I'm not sure how much of this you've got um, from when he says in the reading, but um, the the reading area for for the for the authors was set up right in front of the children's section, 
And, uh, you know, during the course of the reading, if you heard any beeping, that's every time like the front door would open. So we hear the beeping and in walks this woman with a toddler and goes right behind Brandon Teets just as he starts reading. The only time in the entire reading that there's a child in the building that I'm aware of. Yep. Nope. That was it. That was the whole. Oh, um, uh, yes. Yes. Because there was that one weird woman that walked over the children's section and stood there for like 15 minutes. Yeah, in just the like, exact same four foot section. Yeah, like she didn't even fucking move. She just she was just zeroed in on whatever four books were in front of her for like mm-hmm. ten minutes. Yep. So um so that was kind of uh made it even a little more um entertaining to hear Brandon read, you know, Brandon classing the joint up there. And I mean, and if you think about it, it, it I don't know if you if you put this together, Livius, but if you hit rewind, you go back to our review of Good Sex Great Prayers. Essentially, the thing that you wanted to read but thought was too nasty for the show is exactly what he read. I totally did not get that. Then, the Burnt Tongues review, we felt like talking too much about his story dietary was a little bit on the nasty side, too. So the two things that we thought were too taboo for the podcast, he backdoored into the podcast by doing it live. <laughs> yeah, he backdoored it. He backdoored it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great, great stuff. And I'm so happy that he read the stuff that he read because that's exactly what we wanted him to read. And it wouldn't have been as good if we kind of regurgitated it. It had to come from him. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, his delivery on, I mean, all the readers are great, but but his delivery on all of that was just, was absolutely terrific. Yeah, he was really convincing as that skeevy preacher dude. (laughs) Maybe a little too convincing. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, great to meet Brandon and Wendy. Um, great to meet Ben Tanzer and Jack Gems and uh, Kirk Claus. We got to meet Kirk Claus, who's a lit reactor guy, and that was cool. Um, got to spend some time talking to him at dinner afterwards. So it was uh, excellent, excellent overall. Yeah, I got to meet Adam on. Oh, no, no, no. Didn't we... even meet his uh, his proxy pie. No, no, we didn't. Fucking Oreo pie, a black and white pie, dude. How genius is that? Way too genius. It was too genius for me. Yeah, I know. Well, at any rate, um, that was uh, AAA Adam Otten you heard uh, at the top of the show with another reference. To, dude, we did one episode. He sent two clips. This is He's really trying to make sure we can't keep up. He's pushing us, dude. Yeah, we have to do more episodes just to keep up with the content he sends in. Do we? I think it's going to be like, I don't know. I'm not good with math, but I feel like the more we do, the more he's going to produce. Unless we just kind of like, like choke him out. Like, you know, like he just can't, he, he will eventually not be able to keep up with our pace. Pie choke. Pie choked. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I think it's time. I think it's time to call us. Oh, you want to talk about the next book we're reviewing? Yeah, let's talk about the next book we're reviewing. You're uh, saying that because you have no idea what it is. Hold on, I do. It's um, <laughs> it's a it's a book that's been published recently by an author, and I'm so far you are right on all counts. I know I'm not wrong yet at all. It um, is the, the supernatural, supernatural enhancements Ooh. by Edgar Cantero. Um, this is a ghost story, I guess, kind of made up of. I don't know. I, I got about four pages in today. Um, uh, diary entries, maybe newspaper clippings. I don't know. But it sounds like it's going to be interesting and fun to talk about. So that's what's going to be up next on Booked. Yeah, it was It was either that or another book that was like extreme horror. And as much as I love me some extreme horror, um, pornographic extreme horror, I figured after Brandon Teeth's we had to take it, you know, take it down a notch before we brought it back up. Oh, that was horror? I just thought it was like sexy stuff. Oh, God. See, the things you consider horror and the things I consider horror, not the same thing. More and more of your, like, the more of your your mentality that is, you're, you are horror. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, uh, that's, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so that's what's coming up uh, for our next review. Oh, and just as a follow-up, because uh, we sometimes we talk about stuff on the podcast, and then we don't really kind of deliver any resolution to the story. So on a previous episode, we had found out that uh, 
a listener in Australia, Brendan McFarland, had uh, bought a copy of our, our book secondhand that was signed and everything, and there was a joke about me rubbing my genitals on it. So Livius had said that um, if he reached out and gave us his address, we would send him a book. So he did reach out and gave us his address and everything, and um, at the reading, we um, got a bunch of people to sign the book. Livius and I both signed it. Um, Richard did... I think Brandon did and, and some other people too, right? Uh, not only did Skip Papersley sign it, but also Malik Tambali, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, how goddamn cool is that? Um, Kevin Helmick signed it. I don't think you mentioned him. Sorry, I was trying to look for the message from Brandon <laughs> to make sure I had the address because I know that was a reminder for me to go do this tomorrow. <laughs> yes, there is an address. So, And um, the Mr. clerk from the bookstore. Yeah, the clerk and the owner. The pie from the bookstore. <clears throat> yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Both uh, both of them signed it as well. Uh, Mr. McFarland, here's the deal. Today is Monday when we're recording this. It's September the 8th. On September the 9th, I'm going to the post office and see if I can figure out this international shipping thing. So um, Rob <laughs> dropped uh, some other promotional goodies in there for you. Um, stuff that I don't even have, by the way. Really? Um, may, I may have some now because I may take half of what you put in there mm. for them. But uh, so I can yeah, order some, more. So just some fun little stuff. Well, I looked because we were going to thing. I was like, oh, I probably got some of this stuff we got. We can give to people. And I looked. I was like, I have a bunch of these postcards. So like, that's all I have is postcards. Yeah. Any rate, you have a genital free copy um, guaranteed. I sent it off to a scientist um, over the weekend to make sure that there is uh, there's no Rob DNA on this book, and uh, and it's uh, it's going out to you tomorrow. So I don't know. I mean, I guess in like eight weeks or however long it takes a paddle boat or whatever to get to australia dude do you know australia is really close to new zealand <laughs> i heard about that yeah. i'm really worried though about i hope that the biker wears like floaties on his arms because <laughs> there's definitely some ocean between us and and australia so well you know i guess i i know we talked about this on the last episode but you know when i google maps it i hit i hit the directions is it the little car and there was no no route to get there <laughs> You know, I don't know if you, uh, I guess you're on uh, iOS and Google Maps, whenever you want directions, it, like it'll tell you how, like, you know, where it is or whatever and how many miles. And it has a little picture of a car. If you want the directions, you click on it. Yeah. So I clicked on it. There is no way to get to New Zealand by car. But right. you, that, I mean, yeah, it's an island. <laughs> so, but really aren't all countries islands. I mean, well, continents. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, yeah, I mean, in the grander oh, yeah, scheme of things, things, yeah, I guess it would be continents. We're, I mean, we're all just islands. I'm gonna go listen to some um, geography. Is that, that's geography. Right? <laughs> geography podcasts and see if I can learn anything about this. This of which you speak. All right. Before we wrap it up, I want to know if you know what's the difference between geography and geology. Geology is a study of rocks, sir. What? Oh man. And geography is a study of really big rocks, like the kind people live on. <laughs> fair like earth would be a rock earth is one giant rock all right anything else anything else we want to talk about? <laughs> i can't i can't think of anything else oh there's a cute little sign off after this if you stick around uh, <laughs> that you'll hear immediately after we stop talking apparently <laughs> until next time i'm livia snudden and i'm rob olson keep reading any final words brayden uh I, no no <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, keep reading for the stars.